Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Already Friends. This is Kara. And this is Allison. Today we have on an amazing guest, Ashley Stahl of the U-Turn podcast. This episode is going to be part of our eight-part series of the eight dimensions of wellness. If you want a little intro on that, we have a whole episode introducing you guys to the series. Basically, we're going through the eight dimensions that make you a whole person, a balanced person. And one of those is occupational. So having work satisfaction, job satisfaction, all those things. So we will go into Ashley's credentials in a little bit, but she is a rock star. We had so much fun with this conversation and we learned so much about what you can do if you're feeling stuck in your job, how to be satisfied in your career, just even tips for your career as well. So yeah, we really enjoyed this combo with Ashley. Yeah, and I think we did a good job and she did a great job of making it fun and casual. This is not a dry, stuffy interview. This is still a fun girl chat episode. So stay tuned to get into all of that. But first, as always, we will catch up and then do our peaks of the week. How was your week, Kara? Yes, uh, had a great week here. I am just chilling in St. Louis for the time being. But lately, I've just been connecting with new friends in St. Louis, um, specifically other photographers, videographers, people who do content creation for a living. I feel like St. Louis isn't one of those cities that you think of when you think of where people live that do content creation, all those things. But my friend was telling me in the last year, there has been a lot of people that get together now and connect over that kind of stuff. So I've met some food bloggers, some people who work for the news, just like all these different types of people, which has been really fun. And yeah, getting to meet people that do something similar to me is, is always good. And yeah, connecting with those people. So making new friends. And I was thinking about doing a trip at the end of this month because I try to do two vacations a year where I'm just, you know, full week vacation where I'm not doing work stuff because I do get to kind of stack trips on the beginning or end of work trips. Since I travel for work, I can either go a day or two early and kind of have fun. I try to do at least two trips not related to work throughout the year. So I was like, oh, okay. January is when I went on this trip last year. I'll do it this year. 
But I'm also just not hating being at home and just like getting my routines in place for the year, getting my life together. I don't know, setting the foundation of routines and stuff that I want to stick to for the year. So yeah, I think I might not go somewhere. I don't know. We'll see. I might go to Greenville at the end of the month to see McKenna and to maybe look at a wedding venue that I like out there, Greenville, South Carolina. But that's about it. So we'll see. Yeah, I was just going to say maybe it doesn't have to be like a big, huge abroad trip. It could just be like a fun local or little thing. Yeah. So we'll see if I make it out. I think flights are looking kind of expensive for like everywhere right now. So that's also probably why I haven't been like inclined to pull the trigger on anything. So save some money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not hating being at home. So if you guys aren't familiar with Kara and I's travel process, usually it looks like finding a very cheap flight and then just going to that destination because it's like, okay, cool. The flight was only a couple hundred bucks. Let's just go do it. But I agree. I've been like scouring flights and I'm like, why are they expensive? Give me a cheap flight so I can just go somewhere as I'm literally traveling right now, but (laughs) I'm looking for later. Yeah, like I got invited to Mexico at the end of the month for my friend's birthday and the flights were like $750 round trip. I'm like, I would have really enjoyed doing that. Maybe I'll still think about doing it, but yeah, what the heck? That's just a lot for Mexico. I don't know. We'll see. Right. Yeah. If if you're going to spend $700, it's like you want to hop an ocean, like get over the Pacific, get over the Atlantic. Anyways. Yeah. That's my updates here. What's going on in your world? How is Palm Springs Joshua Tree treating you? Well, speaking of travel and money, I wanted to shout out like the U.S. National Park Pass. So my friend Jessie, I told you guys about her two weeks ago. Uh, She's who I had the same flight in Tulum and then went to the holiday party. So she came out here for four nights. It's really nice. The Airbnb my mom got us here has three bedrooms. So she just like had her own room and we had a good time, which I'll talk about in a second. But both her and my mom have National Park Pass. I think my sister does too. And I just looked into the details. So it's eighty dollars for an annual pass. And this gives you access to over 2000 recreational areas and a ton of other monuments and cool things. And like, that is really such a good deal. And I feel like if you get yourself the annual park pass, you'll be more inclined to go do things. And like being here in this area for a while, or even if you're at a place for a week, the daily rates can be kind of high. And then it's like, oh, do you only go to the park one day? But if you have the national park pass, you can go for a sunset hike. And the next day you can like go do something in the evening. You don't have to think about if you're going to go to the park as much. You can just go do it. So I haven't had to get one because thankfully the people around me have them. And I think it's good for two people. But if my mom and sister didn't have one, I would definitely recommend to someone getting that. Yeah. So went to Joshua Tree National Park, took some fun photos. Um, I took her to her first yoga class, which is one of my favorite things to do. I love taking someone to something that I care so much about that they've never done. Just see the excitement in their eyes of the new feels of something to remind myself like how I felt when it was my first time. And then like on the flip side, she has one of those amazing Fujifilm cameras. I think it's the X100V that's like all over social media right now. They stopped making them, but I want one so bad. So I need to like find one on the black market, but the coloring on these cameras just like looks so good. There, like there is no preset that can achieve this look. So we had a lot of fun over the long weekend just playing around with that camera. So it's cool. I love when friends, you know, it's like you can teach each other things or expose each other to things that like you wouldn't normally do on your own time. Mm-hmm. 
Is that a digital camera or a film camera? Oh, I get, okay. I should say it's a digital camera, but it's film inspired. So it looks kind of like our Canon one that we had. So like mm-hmm. from, if someone was just holding it from the front, you wouldn't know it's digital, but it does have a screen on the back, but it was meant to try to take photos that has a film look. I don't know why they stopped making them. Tragic, but. Wow. No, thank you for clarifying that. Maybe it was before they like blew it up on social media. And now they're like, dang it. <laughs> Why did we cancel this? I know. Because I was um, talking to this one guy at a gathering and he wanted one so bad that he actually paid like $3,000 for one, but they were only like $1,000 to start with. So like since they're so scarce now, the like price is getting really driven up. I found one on Facebook Marketplace from this like older man living in Minnesota and I like aggressively message him like, is this available? And he never replied. So I don't know if someone beat me to it, but that one was only 1500. I was like, is this a scam? Wow. So it's, it'll find its way to you. (laughs) I think it will. Thank you. Okay. Maybe you struggle with this too. And not that the feed matters for everything, but it's hard if you like take cell phone photos. And then when you have like digital camera photos, like they look so different and it's hard Mm -hmm. to, I don't know, post everything together when something looks like amazing. The next thing is like just an iPhone photo. Yeah, it is definitely a different colors, different contrast, different levels of brightness and stuff. I feel like I am just so past like consistent feed. I think it's not as bad. I still try a little bit to have it a little bit consistent, but I think at this point I'm like, you know what? This filter is going to be a disposable and the next one's going to be like underexposed. And I'm like, it's better that I just post and not overthink it. But that is like, I totally get what you're saying. Like that is a completely different look. Yeah. And like, it's fine. I did post them and they're right next to each other. But I'm just like, yeah, they, these are very clearly coming from different mediums. 100%. But yeah, what else yeah. do we do? Do you, do you still try to keep a consistent feed? Yes. But here's the thing. Yeah. In today's episode, we talk about core values. And one of my core values as a creator, an artist, whatever, is like aesthetics. So even if it's not cool and not trendy to like have an aesthetic feed, to me, I'm not like keeping an aesthetic feed because that was the thing to do or wasn't the thing to do. Like it's just for my own personal satisfaction. And I don't know how to describe it, but like for me, if my room at home or like my workspace is clean, I like feel stable and balanced. And for me, when my Instagram Instagram feed is like chaotic. It like makes me feel chaotic. I don't know how to describe Mm -hmm. it. Like I I need it to be like organized. Otherwise my brain is just like unsettled. So it's really not for anyone else. It's for me. But yeah. No, it's literally exactly what she said. It's like the things that you do in life are guided from your core values. And 100%, you're someone who has that aesthetic eye. That's who you are. So of course you're going to go that way. No, 100%. I love that you tied it back into what she was saying. So I guess we can do our peaks of the week and then we can get into this goodness of this episode. I would say my peak of the week was I had a late Christmas gift come in from Connor. I guess it didn't ship until like last week. And he got me a red light face mask because apparently we have a lot of blue light going on in our lives and it's good to balance it with red light. And it's from Higher Dose, which is one of our sponsors. Shout out Higher Dose. So love a fiance that uses our link, supports the pod. Yeah. So that was exciting. Wow. Love that from, is it one of the like Mike Myers, like scary hockey goalie masks? 
mask looking things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope it. I love it's it. It's good. Apparently it has good benefits, like evens your skin tone, good for acne. Yeah. And even just like for me who works at a computer and on my phone, it's like, that's probably 10 hours a day of just, I don't know, exposure to that. So I'm trying to balance it out. Oh my God. I know. I somehow have never even had blue light glasses. It's so bad. It's almost like I've gone so long without having them that I'm like, it's all fucked. But <laughs> they're like probably what, $10? I'm sure I could invest. Do you wear them? I have a pair, but they're so tight on the sides of my head. I cannot wear them. So I am in the mm. market for a new pair. We can both buy a new pair or buy a pair. Well, cool. yeah. If you guys have any recommendations, please let us know. Okay. My peak of the week was on my actual film camera, my old school film camera, not my film inspired, but I got it developed at the High Desert Film Lab here. I think I mentioned it last week or the week before that I'd been wanting to go there. So we went in and the owner happened to be working and we chatted for a while and it was like towards the end of his work day and he actually develops all of the film by hand, like in the dark room. And I learned so much about film in the like hour that we were talking to him because he's working on starting like a dark room that people in the community can like use. And so he's also just very passionate about educating people on the process of shooting film. And it made me way more excited and connected to the process, like seeing a little bit more behind the scenes. Cause I, the place I take it in Omaha, they're not really that invested. They're more of like a camera store that happens to develop film to where this is like a film lab. And he even said that anywhere in the world, like people can mail their film in and he'll develop it. And that he's actually grown like a really big following of people mailing in their film because they really prefer the way that he processes like every single photo. I got mine, mine back and it actually all turned out. So I'm really proud of myself because from the first role I got developed in the summer, you know, there were some okay ones. There was a lot of duds. And this one, I'm like, okay, skills are improving. So it's fun. I'm, I'm inspired by this hobby and I'm not going to monetize it. I'm just going to keep it as a little hobby for me, myself and I, but apparently there's a film shortage, so I can't get more film. So I don't know. Why is there always a film shortage? Like, need to, need to figure that out. <laughs> That's like always happening. I know. Yeah. So I need to do a little digging. I just got it back yesterday. So I haven't like put a ton of time into trying to find more film, but yay. Yeah, that was my peak. And for our listeners' peaks of the week, Jenica said she did a community scavenger hunt and won $75. Lucky girl mindset works. I love that. Wow. That's so fun. Mia said, my dad finally got a liver donor and he's getting surgery in a week. Aw, sending all the best vibes to you and your family and your dad, hoping that that all goes very well. Okay, and in the spirit of occupational wellness, Mac just said that she is starting a new job. I hope that goes so well for you and good luck with everything. Yes, last one, another new job. China said, spent some much needed time off before starting my new job. So yay, congrats to you guys. Very excited for you to get into that new spot in your career. And yeah, I think we can hop into today's topic. Today's guest is Ashley Stahl. Ashley Stahl is a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, spokesperson and author of the best-selling book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. Through her two viral TEDx speeches, her online courses, her email list, and her show, The U-Turn Podcast, she's been able to support clients in 31 different countries and discuss discovering their best career path, upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. Ashley maintains a monthly career column in Forbes, and her work has also been featured in outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, CBS, Self, Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, and more. So without further ado, here's Ashley Stahl. 
Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, we can start off with, please give us your background. Tell us everything about yourself, your elevator pitch. Tell us who Ashley Stahl is. Who is Ashley? Ashley is so much more than an elevator pitch, I feel like, and we all are. But to put myself in a box for everyone, (laughs) I'm happy to do it. I grew up in a house where, you know, like news was always on. My dad was always very into politics. My uncles were on the, op- my dad was very liberal and my uncles were very not liberal. So they would fight with each other at the table on Sundays. And for better or for worse, I kind of came to my own conclusions. And so when I got to college, I, I don't know, I, I kind of faced what a lot of people did. It was like, what do I major in? And I think that's so challenging for so many people because we are expected to choose a lane, but we don't even know ourselves yet. So I kind of thought like, okay, what do I pick? And the only thing that sounded fun to keep learning about was something familiar, which was politics. So I thought about being a senator or a diplomat. I didn't really know, but I followed the path and I poured everything into it. I interned for the governor. I interned for the law firm that represented the queen in England. Like I just did everything I could, learned different languages. And I had this intention of joining the CIA after I saw Osama bin Laden and 9-11. I had family on the East Coast that really influenced my decision to want to be a part of that movement. And by the time I finally got there, got my graduate degree, did all the things, I realized like I'm not even meant for this at all. So just like a lot of people, I kind of was facing that theory of sunken cost. Like I have a graduate degree. I put years in. I learned foreign languages. And here I am at the Department of Defense. I'm 23 years old. And this isn't the right place for me for so many reasons. Number one, who I am um, is way too sensitive to be working in defense. And I just didn't know that because you just don't really know what you know about yourself until you know it. And I think that we're so hard on ourselves and we forget that life is a adventure and that life is an experiment and it takes time to get to know yourself and for some reason, the pressure that we're putting on everyone in their career is kind of the equivalent as if your parent told you in preschool, like the first person you have a crush on, marry them. It's like, that's what we're doing with our career. Like the first thing you choose, like marry it. And it's like in the same way with dating, we generally need to date around to figure out who we want to spend our life with. It's the case with careers, but for some reason, nobody's having a dialogue about how much we need to try on in order to know ourselves. So I was at the Pentagon running a high-level program relating to Afghanistan, and I was really excited to be there, but that was about it. Like the tasks that I was doing were not me. And one thing I learned during that time was how to job hunt because it was the recession. I was motivated by nothing but fear. Like everybody couldn't get a job. And I just did everything I could to get one. And so eventually I started helping friends get job offers on the weekends. I would go through their resume. I would talk to them about how to network. And they'd always say to me, you should be a career coach. And I just remember thinking like, what even is that? Like, like a hockey coach, like sports, like what are you a career? So at 24, eventually I opened up a private practice. I left the Pentagon. I started speaking on stages and then that evolved into a career coaching business, which evolved into my book, which is called U-Turn, Y-O-U, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. And then my show, the U-Turn podcast. And I've been really devoting myself to this idea of making a U-Turn instead of like a U, like in traffic, a Y-O-U turn, which I've coined as two words because it's about reconnecting to you, like coming 
coming home to yourself, instead of saying this isn't working and just being like a pendulum and swinging the other way, I wanted to help people discover who they are. And I started off with job hunting. And then eventually after five years and 300 people being my client, I felt confident to start helping people actually choose what path to take because I was so exposed to career paths. Everything from escorts to flavor testers to game designers to White House professionals, like you name them, I coach them. And so by that point, I just knew so much about what was out there. And that was the thing for a lot of people is they didn't know what was out there. So I took it as my job to help educate them. And so now with the book and the podcast and a few online courses on your career path, I've just been at this for a long time and I really love it. Wow. I absolutely love that metaphor of it's like you're dating. It's almost like you're from this tiny town and you think that you have like five options for who you could marry. Because I feel like when you go through high school, you think that there's like doctor, lawyer, teacher, and you don't even have any clue all the things that you can do for a living. So I love that you're really helping people learn like the millions of options for a job out there. A hundred percent. And I think that what's so hard for people to really grasp is that there are many different options for you. Just like there's many different options of a life partner you can make. I mean, it depends on your belief system, but I think there's a lot of people out there you could probably be happy with. Just different types of happy, different universes, right? Like every person you date is a different universe. This guy is an art collector. This woman is a, you know, and they have a universe that they're in. I think that's the same with your career. Your career is, there's, they're all just different universes and you just get to pick one. They're all great. You know, one tastes like vanilla, one tastes like chocolate, but you like the flavors. So I think it's about really figuring out who you are first. And, you know, I think that there's three categories in your career. The first one is the what, meaning what are your skill sets? So the message of my book is don't do what you love, do what you are, because our interests are our interests. But what we do during the day, the tasks that we carry out, that's how we're using our mind, our body, and our heart. And that comes down to our skill set. And so, I mean, a coder at Disney can be a coder at L'Oreal, could be a coder at Facebook in the same day. It's all the same skill set. So it's important to ask yourself, where are you gifted? What is your skill set? And to realize that that skill set is like an umbrella where many different jobs will fit under it. The second piece is the how. So let's say, you know, I'm a words person and, you know, know, that means that a lot of my work, it revolves around communication. I have a podcast, I have a book, it's all words, right? So I'm usually booking about 12 stages a year to speak on versus my colleagues who are building or booking 300 stages a year because I can't do that. My, my body won't let me. And a lot of that comes down to your energy levels, which is its own category. But a lot of it also comes down to your core values. What do you value? I value balance. I value creativity. In order for me to be creative, I need a lot of white space on my calendar. I can't have things booking me up or I can't think. I can't create. So I think it's about knowing what your values are. And that's the problem with a lot of people is if they don't like their job, they think it's the wrong job. But the truth is it might just be that they're violating a core value of theirs. So, you know, I had a client in my private practice and he he was doing sales and he loved what he was doing as far as like sales. That was the right skill set. But for some reason where he was, he was miserable. And we found out it wasn't about the what. It wasn't about his skills. It wasn't about the job. It was about the how. Number one, he didn't like his boss and he values connection. So one of his top five core values was like being violated on a day-to-day basis. Number two, he va- his other value was integrity. And this is out of his top five. He was selling something he didn't believe in. So I think it's really important to take a look at what are you doing, but also how does it look and does it align with your values? And the problem with values is that a lot of people try to choose their core values, but they go off path. So they pick values that are aspirational. For example, I had a lawyer in my practice years ago. She told me her value was peace. But 
But I just remember thinking, like, you're a litigator. All you're doing is being in war. And I understand you're probably miserable at it. That's why she came to see me was to change careers. But she wasn't really prioritizing peace. She would have never been a prosecutor in the first place. Like, your values are who you are inside. It's the non-negotiable ingredients to your being. And usually um, those words are quite apparent for people to find on you, whether you're aligned in your career or not. Absolutely. All that makes so much sense. Let's just take a step back. So, of course, this episode is about occupational wellness. So what's the first step for someone who wants to evaluate their occupation and whether that's serving them? I would say the first question to ask yourself is, are you growing and are you sharpening your core skill set at least 70% of the time? I think that this movement to find your purpose and that buzz statement has really messed with a lot of people. I don't think your work is where you find your purpose. I think your work is where you contribute. And I think your purpose can be in many different things. And so it's really important to ask yourself, you know, where you're really coming from in the choices that you're making. If you're feeling cut off, if you're feeling disconnected, that's the first thing is, are you growing your skill set? And if the answer is yes, then I think stay in your job unless there's something that's so non-negotiable and violating a core value. I think that most of your job should be using your core skill set. And then there's a small percent of your job, like 10, 20, 30%, that should be sharpening, you know, other skills that you want to grow or maybe just using something that's out of your domain, but it's kind of cost of admission, something you need to do to keep your job. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I love my business. I love what I do. And like 20% of the time, I'm fixing tech problems and I'm not even a tech person. I'm like emailing tech people, but I need to know what's going wrong to tell them what's going wrong. So I need to know enough. So, I mean, point is being that, you know, 20% of the time I'm doing something I don't want to do in my business, but majority of the time I'm really loving what I'm doing. And I think being reasonable in that way is really important for all of us. Okay. Something you said at the beginning of that was the difference between your purpose and contributing. Could you go into what that means to you? Yeah. I think contributing is using your skills in a way that makes the world move forward in some way, being a part of the world. So for me, contributing is what is my highest and best use? Where do I have talents, gifts, skills? And how can I contribute to the world with these gifts? So those are kind of the primary questions that I'm asking myself when it comes to contribution. Another thing that it comes down to with purpose, I think that's a deeper, more spiritual meaning in your life. I think you can find purpose in a lot of ways through your core values. Like I value self-expression and writing my book was just one of many different, doing my podcast. It's just one of many different ways. I'm sure you both get it having a show. It's like, there's a lot of joy in it if you're in the right chair, right? So I think for me, there is purpose in my career sometimes, but it's not where I, it's not my home for purpose. It's not where I go for my purpose. And I think a lot of people are getting themselves mixed up with that. So contributing is about where are you gifted and are you giving that to the world in some way and sharpening that so that you can ascend in some way and grow in some way with yourself. Yeah, I think you're so right with TikTok and just romanticizing your life. Like that's all super important for sure. But that is maybe making some people feel like they're not living their purpose in their job and it's confusing them because maybe they do have a very satisfying career, but this narrative is telling them, no, like you can't be satisfied just being an accountant. Like you should be doing your purpose of blah, 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 X, Y, Z. So I guess how important is it to be satisfied with your career? And on the flip side, in your experience, what are some negative effects you see when people aren't satisfied with their career? Yeah, I mean, if you don't like what you do, you're more likely to get, get sick, gain weight, and experience depression. There's research behind it. What was the other question that you would ask me before that? Yeah, how important is it to be satisfied with your career? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of going back to what we were saying, it's important to be reasonable with yourself. Just like, you know, I have a dog, for example, 
example, his name is Jupiter and he's a hundred pound German shepherd. And I just did the doggy 23 and me thing and he's 1% wolf. So he's out of control sometimes. He's an angel, but he's like my kid, right? Like I've never had a kid. So he's my kid for now. And most days it's like, he's so much fun. And then there's some days where I'm like, damn, it would be so much easier without you. But I love him and I wouldn't change it. And so I think that's the case with my career. It's like really taking an assessment. And I don't want to say be realistic because people who focus on being realistic, usually they are just saying that to themselves, I think, to damper what they really want. But I think being reasonable is a different thing. And I think it's really important to be reasonable and the pressure that we're putting on our careers. I wouldn't put that pressure on a life partner to be my everything, to make me happy every day. Why are we putting that on our careers? Our job is to make ourselves happy every day. Granted, being in a career that makes you miserable, being in a career that is pushing you to use a skill set that isn't your core skill set all the time. I get it. That's not the right fit for you. But if you are in a career that is sharpening your skill set, so here's the way I look at it. There's three lily pads in our career. The first lily pad is you're fine, right? Like a lot of people are there and it's fine to be fine. Some people say they're fine, but they have a lot of pain. Other people, they're actually fine, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Then there's the second lily pad, which are the people that want to know what is my gift? I want something more out of this. I want to contribute higher. I want to feel more. Um, That's my job is to swim people over from that first lily pad to the second one. How do I get them there? Well, number one, we need to remember that life is always in transition. Like every seven years, I think I read the other day that our skills are turning over. Like our whole body is new every seven years. Like we are constantly evolving as organisms every, you know, every night when we go to bed, our cells turn over. Like we are changing as people. And so I think it's important to take note that you're allowed to change. You're supposed to change. And that's why life is an experiment because who you are at 25 isn't who you want to be at 35. And that period of time sometimes looks like transition. It looks like swimming between lily pads. It looks like taking a job that you're not sure about, reading books, having conversations, trying things out. When you get to the second lily pad, which is what my book was really designed to help people with, my my body of work is about figuring out what your gift is, figuring out what your zone of genius is. And when you're able to get there, I think the world gets really fun for you because then it becomes a game of opportunities. You're calibrating with the universe and creating opportunities for yourself. So what does that look like? That looks like saying to yourself, okay, um, I'm in my zone of genius. And I mean, if you are an entrepreneur, especially, but even if you're in corporate, it doesn't either or, you know when somebody's really good at what they're doing, it's noticeable. And when that person is good at what they're doing, it's because they're in their core skill set and their core values are not being violated, right? So they're in a flow state. To get into that state, maybe not quite a flow state, but they're they're working well. They get opportunities, right? People who are good get opportunities. That's just how it works. So when you get to that second lily pad, which is my goal with my work, and I think it's chapter two of the book talks about core skill sets, people start giving you opportunities. Like, oh, you're really good at this. Can I give you that? Can I give you that? The game of the second lily pad is a game of yes or no. Yes, I'll take this. No, I won't take this. And it gives you a ticket to maybe get to the third one. And you don't have to get there, but you can if you want and you want to pursue it, which is dharma, which is like a higher purpose. Once you say yes or no and you start filtering opportunities, you have to know yourself well enough to to know what to say yes or no to, which is what I'm really here to help people with is knowing themselves. Then you have a ticket to maybe swim over to the third lily pad, which is purpose. The only time I've ever felt that is when I was writing my book. It felt like time disappeared. Words were just flying through my fingers. I think I saw that. Sometimes I watch athletes speak after a game and I'm like, wow, they're on the third lily pad. Like they're in this like special place of creation. They're in their dharma. And I don't think we need to feel our 
our dharma, to feel like our life mattered. You know, there's so much purpose for me in being like a dog mom. There's so much purpose for me in being a sister, being a daughter, being all these other things in my life um, that my career just can't fulfill. And if you actually think of the three most meaningful things in your life right now, chances are your career might or might not be on that list anyway. So I think we're really missing the mark on these expectations. As a retail shop owner, I know how important it is to have a good, reliable POS system. That's why I'm so excited about our sponsor today, Shopify. Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source. Track everything across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers both inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash already friends. That is all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash already friends to take your retail business to the next Next level today. Shopify.com slash already friends. Thank you again to Shopify for sponsoring the Already Friends podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about today's sponsor, Rosetta Stone. They're the most trusted language learning program out there. They've been experts for 30 years and millions of users have trusted them to help them learn second, third, fourth languages. And this is especially timely for me because one of my goals for the year, I literally just said this in our Patreon goal setting workshop last week, is that I want to learn Spanish. I studied German in college and unfortunately, I don't get to go to Germany or Austria very often. I have been spending a lot of time in South America and Mexico. I spent all of January in Colombia and I loved it so much that I'm going back in April. I'm going to Tulum next week. And I'm like, you know what? It is time that I really buckle down and get better at Spanish. If you also are thinking of traveling more, learning second, third, fourth languages, I can't recommend getting started with Rosetta Stone enough. If you would like to get Rosetta Stone and not put off learning language any longer, there's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Already Friends listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off for unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com today. And thank you to Rosetta Stone for sponsoring the Artie Friends podcast and helping me in my Spanish language learning journey. This episode is sponsored by Honey Love. Honey Love is revolutionizing the bra game. Can you think of a bra that you actually like to wear? One that doesn't poke you, does not hurt, and that you kind of forget that you're wearing? For me, I'm thinking of my Honey Love bra. I have fully said goodbye to wearing underwire and bulky fabric bras that trap heat. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. The fabric is super soft and it feels like a second skin and you'll immediately feel and notice the difference. Right now, I'm wearing the silhouette bra and I'm totally forgetting that I'm wearing a bra, but it totally lifts 
lifts. It feels so supportive. It looks so good under shirts. And it's not like those bras that give you that uniboob effect when you put on a tight shirt or tight clothes. It separates, it lifts, it does everything that a bra should be doing. I'm also obsessed with the shapewear. I have the superpower thong, which is kind of like this mid-stomach shapewear piece. The way that it gives my body this hourglass shape that I did not know that I had and is so comfortable. I have traditional shapewear from a few different brands and they kind of hurt so bad. Within a couple hours, I feel like I can't breathe. But with Honey Love's shapewear, it's so comfortable. It's meant to be able to breathe, to live your day-to-day life in. And I feel like I can definitely use the shapewear for my wedding. So I'm very excited about that. So if you're ready to step into that next level comfortable bra and shapewear, it's your time to get Honey Love. Go to honeylove.com slash already friends and you can get 20% off your entire order with that link. So it's honeylove.com, H-O-N-E-Y-L-O-V-E.com slash already friends for 20% off. Make sure to use that code to show your support of the show. And thanks again to Honey Love for sponsoring the Already Friends podcast. Would you go into a little bit what the zone of genius and that flow state could feel like for someone so that they could recognize if they're there or if they're almost there? I think the first thing is to just know when you're in your skill set and to start to notice when people are praising you, celebrating you. It's not about getting validation. It's just feedback from the universe. You're in the right spot, usually, if you're feeling that too. When you're operating out of your zone of genius, things feel hard, you know? It's kind of like when you get sick. You know when you're starting to get sick, the light becomes very bright, you need to draw the shades. Sending an email feels hard all of a sudden. Like, everything just feels harder because you don't feel well. It's the same thing when you're working out of your skill set. It's like a spiritual sickness, right? It's like we are pushing ourselves to do a skill set. Like, for example, details. Like, oh my gosh, thank God I'm not in the business of details. Thank God I have a team supporting me. I'm so grateful for them. If I was in the workforce and I was in a detail-oriented job, I would not be performing very well. And it's not about me putting myself down. It's about me knowing my zone of genius, celebrating where I'm great, and releasing where I'm not. People make way too much meaning of where they're not great. So I think when it comes to getting into a flow state, I think you know you're in a flow state when time just seems to pass and you feel like inspiration. You feel a state of inspiration. You feel a state state of ease, a state of... um, it's not like it's so easy, it's it's unstimulating. It's like you're stimulated and you're inspired and you get energy. I think that's a big thing is it's very energizing when you're in a flow state. And so, you know, I think people who have accessed that, they kind of know if they have, but I actually think it's quite rare. I think maybe people experience fleeting moments of it, you know, like maybe you like your job, but then you have this one day that was just so mystical. I think it's important to ask yourself, what were you doing that day? Why was it so amazing for you? Take note of when you're enjoying using your skill set because I think that there's a ton to learn as it relates to that. Okay, yeah. So you think the best advice to kind of gauge what your skill set is, is to ask others what they think you're good at. Is that Mm -hmm. you were kind of saying? Well, um, in my book, I talk about that. So I think that one of the problems when it comes to figuring out your skill set is that we rely on too many people to give us feedback. And if anything, it makes noise and we start outsourcing insight when we probably have it. And collecting information is useful, but it shouldn't be your God. It shouldn't be your answer. And so I think asking people as a reference point, where have you seen me at my best can be quite insightful. There's a lot of research behind that question. So being able to ask people, where do you see me as very skilled? Asking your parents, asking your colleagues, if you're not, you know, in the workforce, asking a professor, asking a teacher, uh, asking your best friend, you might be surprised with what you hear, especially if you say, where have you seen me at my best work-wise? 
But yes, going back to what you were saying, validation is useful. It just can't be everything. For sure. So let's say someone has taken inventory and realized they're doing a job. That's not their skill set that they think is what they should be doing. I know you mentioned this is what your book's about and your podcast. Can you give some insight for what that first step might look like if someone is saying, okay, I think I need to make a career shift right now? Yeah. If you're feeling stuck, the first order of business is just to get back into your body because you can't really make a decision when you feel that way. So number one, whenever I'm having a bad day, I always tell myself, like, don't trust your mind. Like, I can't make decisions that day. I, I know. Even if it feels so real, you know, I'm like, I can't trust me today. And that's okay. Because, and I usually trust myself quite a bit. But when I know that I'm off my game, when there's something off, I'm just, I surrender to that. And so that's the first thing. Second to that, I would say, is getting back into your body. So for example, when you're stuck, don't go grabbing around like an octopus with tentacles for an answer. Instead, like a snow globe that's shaken up, let the snow settle and get back in your body. Make a list of people of places, of things that make you feel like you. Because when you feel like you, it feels good to feel good and it gets easier as a reference point in your body to feel what feels right and to feel what doesn't. When you're off kilter, it's hard to feel all that. So I would say in my case, for example, the ocean makes me feel like me. I grew up in LA. Whenever I'd have a bad day and I, as soon as I got a car, I would drive to the beach and just being on the sand, listening to the ocean was so meditative for me. Meditating feels like me. I got my meditation teacher uh, certification with no plan to be a meditation teacher, but it feels good. And uh, also there's a few friends. I have a few friends in particular. I have a lot of good friends that I love. There's a few in particular that even more so. I just feel like myself with them. And it's become so important to me to spend time with those people when I'm not me because I immediately get back into me. I take hip hop dance classes. It's just whatever makes you you. Start to tune into that and don't undervalue it and make time and space for that as the first order of business just to get back into your body. I also want to talk about saying yes and saying no. We even did one podcast episode about decision making and how sometimes saying no to the right things mean saying yes to better things. I would love to hear you talk Mm -hmm. about yeses and nos and how to know when you should say yes and when you should say no. I mean, you can't always know exactly, right? Like sometimes life is an experiment and you just need to say yes and try something on like a pair of pants. And if it doesn't fit right, you course correct. You take it as feedback and you course correct and that's it. And I think that that's more powerful. If you want to be powerful, make a commitment, show up, try it on, and then course correct along the way. I think the amount of time people spend trying to make a decision and resisting risk keeps them from moving forward. So that's the first thing. I think secondly, you know, our gut is called the second brain for a reason. There's 200 million neurons in there. It's like the size of my dog's brain. So he's pretty smart. So I would say really trusting when your stomach sinks really trusting when you feel pulled towards something, like an expansion towards something. I've always known that I have some karma in the entertainment industry. Like um, maybe I'll write a, I knew I wanted to write a book for sure, but I feel like there's like a movie or a TV show or something in me at some point. And I don't know, like I trust that that expansive feeling towards it. And I don't feel like it's the time right now. And I think a lot of people use that justification if right now is not the time um, to resist it. For me, I'm not a resistor. So I just can kind of look at that and know myself. So I would say just tuning into your body because I've had clients and I don't privately as much these days, but when I do, 
I've had clients come to me and they're like, oh, this is the perfect job offer. You know, this is the it in writing and we look at it together. But then when I ask them, well, how does it feel? Like, how do you feel when you think about going there every day? And it's like, well, it's going to be kind of tough, but and miserable, but it's going to be good for my career. So it's like the idea of something and what it can do for you feels better than the actual thing. And the problem with that is that it's really hard to be happy when you're sold on an idea versus an actual thing. Yeah. So even echoing off of that and you're trusting your gut, how important is your mindset in figuring out your career and what tips you have to get into the right mindset or what should a good mindset look like when you're trying to figure this all out? I think that the first thing is to um, working on your mindset is huge. A couple books that I love for that other than my own, which I feel like I already told everybody, you turn, get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. It's bright yellow. Can't miss it. If you If that's not for you, Loving What Is by Byron Katie is a great book for you to question your beliefs. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, great book. If you're having challenges in your romantic relationship and it comes back to your mindset, um, Conscious Loving is a powerful book by Hendricks. So there's a lot of tools out there to help you work on your beliefs. But even right now, you can get kind of a thermometer on your beliefs by just writing down, I'm not where I want to be because, and just fill in the blank. Like, why? A lot of people will say, I don't have enough experience. The economy is really weird. Whatever it is, usually it's a limiting belief because there's someone out there where you want to be and they're just not believing that. And that's the only difference. So, you know, their brain isn't more special than yours, you know, like they pursued something because of what they were thinking and that's it. So I would say just getting a handle on what do you think are your limits? Where does it feel like life is too good? Um, where do you feel like, you know, you can't uh, have something? Where, where's that edge for you? And start to get curious on why, because we come into the world with our parents, um, our caretakers, you know, if, if not parents, they kind of set a thermostat for us of what's possible. And it's that inner thermostat that we adopt unless we question our own settings. So how your parents talked about money, success, love, whatever it is, we adopt that unless we say to ourselves, do we agree? Does that actually feel true? You know, um, my dad, for example, he's such a funny man and he lost all of his money when I was a kid. He lost a lot of money and we went from having a lot of wealth to really struggling and almost being bankrupt. And I remember in those days, everything felt so big for him, like to buy another house or to live by the beach. So we would drive by the houses in Malibu and he'd always be like, oh, you know, that's like $10 million or something like that. And as I got older, I had this really weird moment when I was like 28, where uh, I went to somebody's house in Malibu. And I remember thinking what my dad said, like, oh, this must be like $10 million. Like I can never even put this on my vision board. And uh, I found out that the place was 3 million. Okay. So not to say that I'm going to have $3 million house either, but it was just really interesting to see that his beliefs projected something and made it even further away from me and that it was a third of the cost. So I think that we are doing that in so many different ways in our career and in our thinking. And this is just one example that I think was quite tangible for me to be like, whoa, he was 70% off on this price. And, and really just making that something that is clear for you. Looping back to the book suggestions, there's this really popular book, I won't say which one. And in it, the author talks about if you're a really creative person to not necessarily make your entire career about your creativity because it's way too much pressure on it. And then at some point, it kind of kills your love for creating. I would love to hear your take on that. 
Yeah, I don't think everybody's art is meant to be their work. I think that there can be a blend, but there's nothing that kills passion and excitement quite like a deadline and like an unhappy customer or something like that. So I would say being mindful. like And remember, beneath that passion or that piece of art that you have is a skill set. And it can lend itself to many different places. So I think being mindful of how you're harnessing your skill set is just as important as knowing what it is. Okay, incredible. I love that we got the whole picture of, you know, the occupational wellness, career satisfaction, all of that. I would love to go into some more tangible tips because I know you give tips on networking and personal branding, all that stuff. So maybe we could dive into networking and say you're on that path of switching careers, or maybe you're just in your career and you're maybe on that fine lily pad or you're on the, the second lily pad where you are kind of thriving a little bit. How important is networking in your career? And what are your thoughts on being a good networker? Yeah, I think networking is one of the highest forms of giving when you're doing it right. Um, so I have a few rules for myself. I don't network with anyone I don't like. So, um, and I'm not, a, I don't like to see myself as a judgmental person. Um, so hopefully I'm not, but I don't think I am. But if somebody feels like they don't have integrity or they're not kind, it's just like, I don't care if you're the president of the universe. Like I'll find a vice president. Like I'll talk to somebody else. So I think that it, you're playing the long game when you have that as a policy because you're not selling your soul to get somewhere. I I network with people that I like because then I can keep them in my network and I can feel good about helping them. And helping other people is one of the highest forms of networking. Um, I'm always giving to other people and I'm not really thinking about what I need from them. And it's really rare that I ask anything from anyone, but oddly, people are offering me things all the time. Like, it's so funny. Um, Somebody was making fun of me the other day, a friend of mine, because I am pretty feminine in my career. I sound so masculine because I'm very actionable, but I've been in a new chapter where I'm not really pushing anything. Like I let things come my way. And I think when it comes to networking, just being able to let the world know what you want or what you have your heart set on is enough for the universe to move around for you. And I don't mean that in like a woo-woo spiritual way. I think that if you just keep putting it out there, like, oh, I'm really, I'm a new business owner and I'm really focused on press opportunities. People are going to hear that. And eventually someone who's a networker like me is going to say, oh, I know this person, I can help you. Um, And it makes you want to help the other person. It's so kind. It's such a high frequency. I met my partner through a friend And she really went out of her way to make sure that I showed up at a party he was at. What a high form of giving. Like the amount of joy in my life because of my partner, who I love, is is so much. And... I think it's almost like the same energy as networking. It's like going out of your way to make something happen for someone. And you're not always going to bat 100, but that muscle, that constant desire to give, I think is so important. And that's why it comes back to liking who you network with. Okay, I'd love to talk about letting other people help you because that's been a huge lesson in my life basically my whole life and something I've come to terms with recently that I'm like, oh, I'm just so independent. And through whatever past things I've gone through, like I just am like, oh, I can do this on my own, like in all give, but I have a very hard time accepting help from other people. For anyone else out there like that who has a hard time letting other people in and helping them, what advice do you have? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's that proverb that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that's so real, you know, like really noticing. Um, you you really just, you don't have an option, first of all. You can't go very far alone. Like there's going to be a point where you need help. And there's also another thing called grace and it kind of fills in the gaps. And the thing about grace is that if you keep on the path, usually something good is going to happen. I think it was Reese Witherspoon or somebody said, sometimes you're in the front of the bus, 
Sometimes you're in the back of the bus, stay on the bus, you know? I've been on this bus for so freaking long. Like, I remember you know, when I started my business, there were no younger, like, millennial, career coachy type of people. Now I coach all ages, but... I just remember thinking like, wow, there's nobody out there. And now I feel like every time I turn around, like I, I feel like I could hire a coach for my dog. So I feel like there's just so many coaches. I think it's a great thing, right? Like with a lot of opportunity comes a lot of filtering, right? So there's some that aren't going to be so great for you, some that are going to be great for you and just have to be mindful of that. But um, I've stayed on this bus and because of it, opportunities just naturally will come. And so I think that's the power of knowing your skill set is when you're on that bus and you stay in it, you start to go deep. You start to know people in your space. Um, and as time goes by, you've kind of been there and done that and you figured out niches in your niche, right? Like I never would have thought being a career expert would lend itself to being a spokesperson, would lend itself to being a keynote speaker, would lend itself to being a guest on a documentary on Netflix. Like there's so many random things that come because I'm just staying on the bus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So you're kind of on the entrepreneurship path. How do you add people to your bus that are also by themselves? Like, how do you connect with those people? Because, you know, it's easier to find a group, maybe in a work setting where you are supposed to be collaborative and you are supposed to be working together. But how can someone find if they're working by themselves? Like I know Allison and I are both kind of entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for those people to find their people that are also mm-hmm. building their own businesses? I would say make a reservation for five people at a restaurant that is reasonably priced that you really enjoy and put it five weeks out and give yourself a challenge to go to Eventbrite or meetup.com or a Facebook group. I mean, I have a guest house that I spend winters in in Florida. And if I just put like millennial women of Palm Beach, I can like find a group on Facebook. So I would say you know, don't underestimate how many groups there are out there and make a point to attend some of the meetups. And if you like someone, say, hey, I have this dinner reservation in five weeks. Some really amazing people are coming. It'd be nice to have you. And that's it. It's just like holding a space on your calendar and making an effort, taking initiative. There's a lot of personality types that just are not comfortable taking that initiative and asking and inviting people. So be the one that's, you know, gives the invitation and sets the initiative. And that puts you in a really powerful place because then you get to choose who's in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's great. I have a friend to I work in the travel and tourism industry and work there's like you know so many people that work in that industry but I have a friend that got eight people together and now we go on zoom every other month and just like talk about travel and tourism and now I have friends that own outdoors Facebook groups and I have a friend who works for Visit Canada and I have all these different friends because that one friend very kindly got us together and connected us so 100% that is such a great idea yeah, I love that idea. See, and I think that that's the next step after like something as basic as a dinner reservation is, okay, can you create consistency in in these connections? The ones that resonate, not all of them, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a lot of value in that for sure. Earlier, you mentioned as an introvert, you're like, for me, 12 speaking engagements a year is great. For someone who's super extroverted, maybe they can do 300. For all the introverts out there, what advice do you have to like be able to put yourself out there to go to those dinners to take the speaking engagements? Because I also recently learned I'm an introvert and I do like I love talking on this podcast. I do love the things. I just can't do that many of them. And how do you communicate yeah. to people when they ask you to do those things? That's not that you don't want to do it. You just maybe don't have the emotional capacity to do all of them. What language do you usually use yeah. when you're declining those? 
Well, I would say, number one, the mindset for introverts is go deep and not wide. So instead of like spray and pray method, where it's like, how many people can have my business card? Tell yourself when you go to one of these events, can you give yourself permission to leave after you've deeply connected with two people? Like set a quota and really try to find kindred spirits that you can connect with and and leave it at that because deeper relationships go further than shallow relationships anyway. As far as, you know, extending yourself, you know, ask yourself, what would be comfortable if the number is zero? That's fair. But what would be a, a small stretch? What would be a huge stretch? And find something in the middle and, and really hold yourself accountable. We build our self-esteem through stretching ourselves and showing ourselves so we can show up for it. So I think there's a lot of power in saying like, okay, well, I want to go to zero. I kind of want to go to zero. I'm a career expert and I don't want to go to networking events. Like I get tired. It's a lot for my nervous system. I'm an introvert. But it's there's this quote about writing and I really resonated it with, with it when I wrote my book. It's, I don't like writing. I I like having written. It's like, I don't like networking, but I like having networked. So I think it's about focusing on what are you looking to achieve in your life? And can you give yourself some sort of commitment to stretch yourself in that way? And and it's unfortunate because I think the workplace is built in favor of extroverts. And that's just the world that we live in, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, that reminds me of the quote, do something that future you will thank you for later. And I've been really tapping into that because sometimes I don't want to do the dishes at night or like just like random things like that. And it's just like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm kind of hating that I'm doing this, but I'm doing this because future me will thank me. So I think that's the same with what you were saying with like networking. So going to personal branding, how important is personal branding? What are your thoughts? I think we always think of it in the lens of being an influencer or having this big brand online. But could you even talk about personal branding on a smaller scale in your career or at your work too? The way I see personal branding, it's like the internet is a bunch of islands, right? So there's Forbes, like I have a Forbes column. There's Ted. I have a TED Talk. There's my personal website. There's podcasts. There's TV bookings. I'm going to be on the New York News today. There's so many different islands, right? And I think that when you start a personal brand, you need to pick your island. So I was always a writer. So my first island that I nailed was blogging. I blogged for other people. And one thing to know when you want to start positioning yourself as having a voice on the internet is you want to know, you know, what angle are you taking? So for me, it was career advice. And then rank your the outlets that you would want to work with from highest to lowest hanging fruit and start with the lowest hanging fruit. So if you want to be on podcasts, like which ones seem easier for you to get on? You can't see a podcast downloads, but you can see how many reviews they have. That's a good metric for how listened to it is. And just kind of making that effort to build an avalanche from it. Um, I think everybody should try to have a personal brand and use their core skill set as the compass for how they're going to show up in it. Like if you want to do video, do video. If you want to do TikTok, do TikTok. If you want to do Instagram and you're more of a writer or a blogger, pick your lane and just really build something out of it and then move on to the next island. I think it's great to differentiate between those different creative mediums. Like if you love talking versus writing versus photo versus video, it's very rare that someone's probably going to be exceptional in all of those areas. So I feel like it's easy to be like, oh my gosh, I have to be killing it on all of these different social media channels. I've got to be doing this and this. But leaning into, if you're a great writer, these mediums might be more suited for you. If you love short form video, get on TikTok and not overwhelming yourself by thinking you have to do everything to achieve a good personal brand. 100%. And I think that's what gets a lot of people really, really stuck is they put themselves everywhere all the time. And not only are they going to get burnt out from doing that, but they're not going to enjoy themselves. And it's really hard to keep something up when you're miserable. 
Yeah, which is tough because again, online they tell you, you got to be on this platform. You got to be here, here. You got to you got to cross promote. You got to take those followers and bring them to the next. And it's like you're so right. It's like maybe focus on the few islands that are bringing you what you want. Maybe if you're already getting enough what you want from those single islands, like why do you need to do more? Okay, burnout, workplace burnout. How do you notice when you're getting burnt out? I know we kind of touched a little bit about this earlier, but that's just something that, again, is a hot topic, burning yourself out from overworking or doing too much. So tips for how to notice that you're burnt out and maybe what to do after. Yeah, I did this one episode of burnout on my podcast and I remember there were four causes that I talked about. One was a lack of purpose. So we talked a lot about purpose. I think that's just feeling like, what's the point of what I'm doing? And it's easy to feel like there's no point to what you're doing if you're not contributing in some way, like we talked about. So feeling like there's just no point. I think also a lack of community, feeling like you have no support, a lack of sleep. And the final piece that I see a lot of people going through in the wake of the pandemic is a lack of agency, feeling like they don't have power. So for example, I had a person in one of my courses, she took my Career Clarity Lab course, and I remember she she was looking for clarity because she didn't like what she was doing. And when I got to the root of why don't you like what you're doing, it was like, oh, she has a lack of agency. She's burnt out. Um, she was managing, she worked for a cosmetic brand and she was in charge of shipping. And the problem was that a customer would place a million dollar order and in the middle of COVID, they'd only get a half million dollars worth of product because the shipping was all, you know, messed up. And that wasn't her fault, right? Like, it's not like she's the captain of the ship shipping the goods. So she would have to deal with the unhappy customer and she felt like she had no agency, no power in her job. So um, I think those are the four primary causes of burnout. The thing about burnout is you want to notice it before it really gets bad because once it gets really bad, you're working out of a different brain. The reason that certain tasks that you used to be able to easily do become hard is because your brain has changed. And that's what the definition of burnout really can be when you've gone too far. And I found that people who need that need to go on a sabbatical. They need uninterrupted time off. The worst thing they could do in their time off is try to figure out their path in their time off. I think a lot of people, you know, they're like, I'm burnt out. And then they'll read a bunch of burnout business books when they're sitting on a beach miserable. It's like, no, just sit on the beach, give your brain a break. It's a muscle, just like your bicep. Like it it needs a minute. How do you feel that burnout and depression and anxiety go hand in hand? Do you feel like one leads to the other or the other leads back to that one? Or is it more of a tide cycle? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're separate things, but that they definitely have relationships with each other. You know, I have had anxiety a lot of my life. Uh, luckily, it's not so bad anymore, but I would say I, I never have had depression. I've never, to me, and a lot of people think depression is just like being really sad. To me, it's being apathetic. So people that I see that are depressed, in my experience, and I'm no expert on this, they seem like they're not excited about anything. They don't have anything to look forward to. There's just kind of this sense of blah. It's not necessarily that they're sitting in a corner crying, right? So for me, I've never lived in that. I've lived in anxiety, like worry and heart palpitations and what do you know? I think that burnout can cause both anxiety and depression because if you're burnt out and you have a huge plate of to-dos on your desk, that's pretty anxiety-inducing. Like to feel like you have this mountain you need to climb and you have no energy in your body. I would say, you know, also depression. Like I could see how that could trigger that. So I think really keeping on top of your mental health is huge. I'm excited we're living in a time that people are talking about mental health more. I've been in therapy forever and I really don't even think I have much to talk about in therapy. 90% of the time I go and I, I don't have anything pressing. I just, you know, talk about things that I'm thinking and it's helped me in every area of my life. So if you can't afford a therapist, see if you can have a friend that you have like a weekly kind of like therapy with and knowing that they're not a therapist, they can't facilitate you, but they can listen. There's an extreme value in listening and exchanging that with each other. 
any other action tips you have for someone who really wants to take control of their occupational wellness this coming year? A fulfilling career is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, you know, some years are your questions and some years you get answers and not to look at every day as this heavy thing that you need to find out. You know, I think hiring a life coach is great, but sometimes life is the ultimate coach. And sometimes when you have a question, you need to be with the question and let life give you the answer over time and and get comfortable with being in that discomfort. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about or shout out before we go into our final question? No, these were great questions. You guys really covered a lot. I know. I'm I'm pumped. We did a lot. This is great. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm so impressed with you. Seriously, I'm like, wow, how did they go from personal branding to (laughs) life purpose to burnout to, yeah. Well, thank you. So this podcast being the Already Friends podcast, every time we have a guest on, our last question for them is to you, what makes a good friend? Mm. Okay, so I'm gonna have a different answer for this. To me, being a really good friend, having a really deep friendship is about earning secure attachment from the other person. So the question is, what earns their secure attachment to you? I don't mean attachment like they need you. I mean, like they're... We all have different forms of attachment growing up. So, you know, if, if your parent wasn't really around, you probably have anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. You don't have secure attachment. Earning secure attachment from someone means knowing where their wounds are and knowing where they're sensitive. I have a friend who has was bullied in high school and she has a fear of being left out. So whenever we have a group dinner, I earn my secure attachment with her by saying, hey, we're doing a group dinner. Have you gotten the invite? It's not about being codependent and tiptoeing around someone to prevent them from feeling uncomfortable. It's about knowing where people are tender and being able to keep that on your mind as you navigate them and support them. Wow. We are floored every time we ask this question because we truly get a new answer every time. And I don't think we've heard that, but that's so true. It's like, if you're really a good friend, you take notice of where people need a little lift. And like, that's the point of friends is to lift each other up. And that's just so touching. So I love that you do that. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, this is your time to plug yourself, plug where people can find you, Uh plug your podcast, your book, everything. Um, I feel like I've told everyone. So, you know, I'm excited for anyone to come check us out. It's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N, two words, podcast. The book is the same name. It's everywhere books are sold, everywhere podcasts are listened to. I'm on Instagram sometimes. I have a pretty fair weather relationship with influencer land, but I'm on there posting funny stories that have no business sense to them, if that's of interest to you. And if someone were to come listen to your podcast today, off the top of your head, do you have any episodes that you feel are your best episodes that you would really like someone to listen to? I love that question. Um, One of my favorite guests I've ever had is episode 76 with Tatiana Ray about how to set yourself free. She just has like really unusual advice that I've never heard. And she has a very different way of seeing the world. If you're working on money mindset, I think the episodes with David Neagle or Chris Harder are really powerful. And if you're working on your love life, the episodes with Annie Lala, I think are really, really profound or Hannah Levitan. Wow. Thank you. Amazing. We will absolutely link those in our show notes and as well as the burnout episode. We'll post that in our notes as well. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are really crushing it at this. Like, what good questions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you coming on. This was delightful to have you. And we are so glad that our wellness series is working. And as you said in the episode, if you put it out there, that that's something you're doing, the right people will just come right in. So thank you for being a part of this journey for us. My pleasure. All right. That was another episode of Already Friends Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.
When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.